in my work in the local church, as I talk to people in our community, I run into this tension over and over again. It's like almost on a weekly basis, I run into this tension where people are asking really good questions about the Bible and about really tough questions they have about it because the book seems so confusing. And I think for me, I find over and over again that when you dig in and you start asking questions, at the root of it all is um, often a misunderstanding about what the Bible is. And then functionally, that turns into an inability to read the Bible appropriately and responsibly and dynamically which then equates to misreading the Bible. So I'm curious, Isaac, for you as a lead pastor in a local church, I know because you and I have talked, um, you run into similar issues. How does that work out in your community? It's hard to even know where to begin. There's so many different issues that come up, and it it really comes down to an issue of what you you call hermeneutics or exegesis. Those are the technical terms, but the simple way of looking at it is just, how do I read my Bible, and, and how do I take the Bible? And so people wrestle with issues with, with the Bible and science always. It seems to, to never die, particularly with Genesis 1, 2, and 3 in the creation accounts. Just how, how does that work with what science is telling us now? And is, is faith and, and modern science, uh, are, they, are they compatible? How is a Christian to navigate that? There's issues with, uh, one of the things that keeps coming up now is an issue of the character of God. So um, before people in America more often than not assumed a sort of theistic worldview. They assumed that God existed. And if he if he didn't, those were basically your two op like basically your two options where God exists or he doesn't. Right. What there I mean, is a God or there isn't. Or there a God. isn't. But but now that kind of theistic worldview isn't assumed by majority culture. So when people approach the Bible, they're having an issue with the actual character of God that is presented in the text. It's like, no, the Bible actually says God sends people to hell or God told the Israelites to kill this people group. And so there's an actual kind of shaking of someone's worldview with the actual character of God. Um, And so people are rejecting the God of Christianity because of the verses they're actually reading in the Bible, which is fairly recent in my experience among young people. Yeah, almost like people are saying, okay, fine, I can give it to you that there is a God, but if there is, he seems awful. Yeah, so it's very, in our culture, you know, one of the sins that everyone will, will kind of say a sin is, you know, don't enforce your truth on me. So no one's no one's going to flat out tell you there is no God and it's wrong for you to believe that because it's like culturally, right. <laughs> you just don't do that. Yeah. But they will say, man, the God of the Bible, he is an evil God that I don't see how anyone with a right mind and a loving heart can actually worship. Yeah. These are such key questions. It really is about the future. And, you know, at the Regeneration Project, we talk a lot about um, engaging new generations in theology and in um, the church and on mission, and in particular with the Bible and the story of the Bible. So, uh, it really comes down, I think, for us to how how do we read and how should we not read yeah. the Bible. So that's exactly what we're talking about today. And um, we'll be talking about this all-important subject with a dear friend of ours. The legend. The legend himself, Dr. Timothy Mackey, who is a co-founder of The Bible Project, uh, which is a nonprofit studio up in Portland, Oregon, creating 
total game-changing videos, yeah. animated videos of different biblical themes, as well as um, books in the library of the Bible. And um, Tim is also a professor at Western Seminary. He's been a pastor, a teaching pastor at a couple of um, really dynamic churches. And so we're really thrilled to talk to him today. And um, we're going to grill him with some, some of our tough yeah. questions. It's going to be great. So thanks for listening. And uh, let's jump right in. Hey, Tim. Hey there. Let's, um, I want to begin by asking you this question. And you can talk more about your story here as you share. But you grew up like skater, punk skater kid in Portland. Yeah. And now you're a self-professed, bona fide Bible nerd. And yep. that's, that's just not normal. That's not a normal both, story. Both, both of those things are true. <laughs> so yeah. tell us about that. How do you go from just being a kid in Portland, skating around, to the place you're at now where you live and breathe this really complex thing? Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I uh, Portland's it rains a lot. It has a vibrant skateboard culture, but it also rains a lot. And... So dry places to skate indoors are at a premium here in the city. Um, so they're back in the late 80s, actually, there was a church that opened up a skate park. They, they built a big warehouse in the back parking lot of an amazing skateboard park designed by some really good skateboarders who follow Jesus. And then uh, people from all over the city could come and you could skate at the park in the evenings. And then in the middle of the each night they would give a Jesus talk every night. And to skate the second half of the night in the park, you had to sit through the talk. <laughs> so, uh, so everybody went to the park and that was my, um, well, my parents were Christians. Um, they really were reacting to their super strict, um, really legalistic religious upbringings. And so they just didn't want to force anything on us. And so, uh, they didn't push anything on us. They kind of let us discover our own way. And so I just discovered Jesus that I could understand in language I understood, in categories I understood at that skate park. And, um, and so that's where I became a follower of Jesus. Uh, I was uh, about to turn 20, out of high school, loser, smoking <laughs> too much pot, living in my parents' basement. That's what I was doing. <laughs> so, yeah, but I just really had like a really radical life turnaround conversion experience and it was just it was very jesus centered you know it wasn't any a lot more complex than that mm -hmm. but um as i began to follow jesus he, you know he talked a lot about the bible the rest of the bible when i read about jesus he's constantly uh, talking about yeah, the rest of yeah. this book that he's in and so i just um one just started to read the Bible more widely, but it's my twenties. It's my first time really reading this thing. And then the leaders at the skate park were themselves just Bible nerds. They just loved, we'd get, we'd like go skateboarding and then go out and hang out afterwards at Taco Bell and like talk about what we're reading in the Bible. That was just like my average weekend or something. So mm. I, it was a really wonderful environment. I'm so grateful for all those guys now. And so I enrolled for classes at a Christian college because I didn't have anything else going on in my life. And I really wanted to try to learn more about this Jesus that I loved following and was discovering more about myself and about the world. And so it was, it was really organic like that. And then I just found I had a knack for 
studying, which I had never done before, ever. <laughs> <laughs> I almost failed out of high school. So I, I really, it was like a brand new, it was like my brain turned on something. And yeah. um, I just fell in love with the whole big, wonderful, complex world of the Bible, it's the, where the Bible came from, everything, languages. I just, one thing led to another. And so I found myself in Wisconsin doing a PhD <laughs> in, in ancient Judaism and Hebrew and early Christianity, and it, it was awesome. <laughs> and you just kept going. Like, yeah, it was just kind of one season naturally led to the next. And it was question-driven. Like I found yeah. each educational institution I went to, an undergrad and then seminary, and then um, the Hebrew department at the University of Wisconsin, each one was has its own had its own framework its own way of helping you approach questions and giving you tools and that inevitably led me to more sets of questions yeah. about theology but ultimately about history just like where yeah. did the bible come from and is any of this stuff true and what does it mean for this history of israel and jesus to be mediated to me through these narratives mm. and poems yeah and what does that mean for me to be a part of this story now. Um, I still remember when it hit me that when Paul was writing to these new Christians in Corinth in the letter of the first Corinthians, and he's talking to these like Greeks and Romans and, and he, start, he will start telling stories about ancient Israel from the Bible and talk about our ancestors and our forefathers. Mm. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, like I'm just like a Scottish skateboarder from Portland. <laughs> like, I, yeah. But apparently like, if I follow Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, I'm, I'm like an Israelite. I'm a part of the family of Abraham now. Yeah. This is my family story in these texts. And if I want to discover my identity as a disciple of Jesus and discover who he is, I, this, I need, to, need to own this book. Like, you, um, so the, I, it was very organic. It was what I'm trying to tell you. It was just kind of a natural process of growth. Yeah. Did you, because some of the stuff we're talking about today, um, is about the tension people feel. You, you've mentioned questions a couple times in your story. Yes. How much of that was a driver for you? Like confusion is, you know, when you read the Bible on the surface, it's really easy to be like, because you mentioned this too, like, is it true? Because, and the reason we ask that question is because on the surface, it just reads like so much of it can't possibly be true. Yeah. So I, some, par some parts of it. Right, some parts um, of it. Yeah, I think... To be honest, the truth history questions came years into the journey. Hmm. I, I was bewildered reading the Bible from the first. I was down for Jesus, but like the talking snake on page yeah. three, um, much less the talking donkey later and all the sex and the violence. And I just didn't, I was like, Jesus? But then the rest of this is like one big violent sex scandal <laughs> um, about all these people yeah. and... And the tension for me actually wasn't so much historical. It was, I'm being introduced to Christianity and this book, but when I actually read the book, I, it doesn't correspond to what I'm being told about this package called Christian belief, mm -hmm. um, which was this really neat kind of synthesis of like doctrines and yeah. such. And I was actually, I'm really glad I was given that because it helped me get a framework. But at the same time, it wasn't clear to me how these different doctrines and systematic categories were grounded in this really messy, complicated, violent story that I was reading. And that for me was the first tension, just bewilderment with 
uh, the way the Bible actually goes. And, and then as I begin to understand what this story is about and what it's trying to tell me about myself and God and the world and Jesus, then the questions came more about, okay, now, so where'd this thing come from and how to get here? And in, in what way is it true? What are the different ways that this kind of book can be true? Because that itself is not a, a simple question. On that note, Tim, one of the things that um, the Bible Project does and what I've just, what we've discussed personally, I think you do just an amazing, brilliant, and this isn't even like a fake compliment, one of the the, the best in the country at at displaying what I'm, what I'm going to talk about. But y- you're able to put on full display both the divinity of the Bible and the humanity of the Bible mm. and kind of mm. hold those together. There was a book uh, written mm. probably more than a decade ago now by Philip Yancey called The Jesus I Never Knew, I think. Yeah, And yeah. Um, basically he was looking at Jesus not first and foremost through the lens of divinity, although he believed yeah. in the divinity of Jesus, he's a Christian, yeah. um, but he, he wanted to almost discover the divinity through the humanity, almost seeing mm. this is what perfect humanity looks like. And if you're letting, if you allow Jesus to be human, guess mm. what? You'll get beautiful humanity and the divinity thrown in. Mm. And one of the things that you're, you're great at is not just uh, pretending like the Bible is um, given to us by some, you know, golden tablets that came down from the heavens, but mm-hmm. no, they are composed by human authors being inspired by mm-hmm. God and somehow when you allow yourself to to look at the humanity, although at first it could be problematic, particularly if you were brought up in a really conservative household mm. where it's strictly first and foremost the divine mm. word of God, which mm-hmm. I absolutely affirm, mm-hmm. but you're kind of taught to mm-hmm. negate the humanity. Uh, mm-hmm. Talk, talk, or, bre- or, minim- or minimize, minim- it yeah, like, like yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a better way of saying it. It's it's yeah. it's here in a couple spots, but for the most part, it's not there. So yeah. when you approach the text, how how do you integrate both the humanity? And mm-hmm. the divinity, because when because I've seen it when you when you do the hu- humanity of the Bible, mm. somehow by the end of it, I'm going. I think the Bible is is more divine than I ever ever have. <laughs> but I went through mm-hmm. a different road to get there. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Um, part of it was just the categories I was given um, when I first started to uh, learn how to read the Bible in a more intentional, careful way, taking classes, reading in the field of biblical studies. Um, I still remember actually the first day of my how to study the Bible class. It was one of the first classes I took at Multnomah University. It was Multnomah Bible College then. And um, the teacher put up a picture of M.C. Escher's famous Mm. picture called The Drawing Hands. Mm -hmm. And it's of uh, a pencil sketch of two hands, two forearms, uh, and then each forearm, the hand of each forearm is coming out of the page, drawing the other one. Yeah. So it's, a, it's literally, it's as if each arm leaped out of the page and started drawing the other one. And it's a chicken and the egg kind of thing. It's like mm-hmm. a visual paradox. And he just used this to introduce us to the divine and human nature of the Bible. And so, the moment we divorce the meaning God has for us in this text from the meaning of the human author that he moved by the spirit to communicate through this text. When we divorce those two, we introduce ourselves to a world of problems, huge problems come. Um, Not to mention that it's 
it's actually that isn't to divorce those divine and human isn't faithful to what the Bible's trying to tell us about the work of the spirit, yeah. how God works in the world through people in the power of the spirit. And you can go right through from Moses to the prophets, to David, to the apostle, to Jesus, to the apostles. And it's always a divine and human partnership. People yielded to um, the influence of the spirit. They become more themselves. Paul becomes fully himself when he's moved by the spirit to write these letters and just read Paul's different letters. Depending on the mood he's in, they sound different. <laughs> Based off of if these people are causing him headaches or if he's really pleased with them. And so then it was just like, okay, the human author's meaning is the divine meaning. Done. So I wanna learn everything I can about ancient Hebrew literature and how these people wrote and composed texts. I wanna learn about how um, Paul, you know, he was both a, a Roman and a rabbi together creating a whole new language of Christian belief and practice and theology um, from both of those streams of culture. And so I, neither one's a threat. I think that's it. It's learning how to put those together. Yeah. And it really, it's, it, the, the, the biggest uh, discovery has been the nature of the Bible as literature. Mm. Three-quarter of it is narrative and poetry, and it's just exquisite, beautiful, high-level, high-level literary artistry, literary and theological art that's on the same par, you know what I mean, as Cormac McCarthy and Steinbeck and yeah. Dostoevsky. And um, to me, that's the, the, the horizon that gets me most excited, is that this is literature that the world has to pay attention to just by the fact of how sophisticated yeah. and profound it is. When you talk about um, like genres, one of the, the things yeah. that Jay and I were, were talking about is as people begin to try to read their Bible with this lens of understanding both the humanity and divinity of the text, mm -hmm. one of the issues they immediately have, and they bring up time and time again is, you know, when is the Bible doing narrative? When is it doing something different? So mm -hmm. is, is Jonah pure historical narrative? Is Job mm -hmm. pure historical? I mean, it, especially for people brought up in certain traditions and environments, you wake up to the idea that, whoa, Job is primarily poetry. So, so did these people, you know, in their historical setting, you know, magically just speak forth this beautiful Hebrew poetry or is yeah. someone doing something else with the text? So what, mm -hmm. what if any tips uh, of navigation do you have? Mm -hmm. What do you use? What could you give just the the beginning mm -hmm. Bible student and, and how to navigate those waters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, the, the history question is important. Um, and it's important because um, the biblical narrative is making a claim to tell the real meaning of the story of our world um, about what's really going on with humans <laughs> and our problems, what the real solution is. Yeah. Um, and that history has a purpose, that it's headed somewhere um, according to God's purpose. So, so it, it, history matters. And there are especially foundation events in the storyline of God's people, like the Exodus, um, and for followers of Jesus, the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Like, it matters. It matters that that happened. Mm -hmm. But um, it matters that it happened because the authors 
in those narratives have given very clear clues to the reader that they mean to anchor this as historical moments. Um, and usually, and so ancient conventions to do that would be naming dates and kings and other things happening in history and so on. So that matters, like I think that matters. So that's one level. Um, however, the biblical, the way that, um, but not just the Israelites, um, or ancient Jews, but the way narrative worked in the ancient world is very different than how security camera footage works. Mm. <laughs> or, you know, like we have these little devices in our pockets now that we can capture so much more of our lives now than any people in the history of humanity. And so we can very easily mistake our expectations about how you do history and write history and impose them on the biblical authors. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of where the problems go or problems arise is mostly of us not honoring the, the cultural convictions guided by God's spirit mm. <laughs> of these ancient authors. Um, and uh, essentially it, it's this, is that the Bible claims to be a faithful representation and interpretation of Israel's history and of, of what, what God is up to in the world, which, which means this, it's, it's not security camera footage, these stories have already been preloaded with the meaning and significance you're supposed to get from them by how the story is represented, the way the plots are shaped, the way the characters are presented, um, the way, just like the tools, the narrative craft, um, it's like a roller coaster ride <laughs> yeah. or a museum exhibit. That's a better example. A museum exhibit about ancient Egypt. When you walk into a museum about ancient Egypt, you're not in ancient Egypt. Mm. You're in a curated experience and you're being taken to one moment, then the next, then the next. And what everything that you see, it's been predetermined to help you gain a certain impression and understanding about this ancient people and their story. And that's exactly what the Bible is. Mm. Um, it's, it's a prophetic interpretation of human history and of Israel's story. So what that means is um, I need to give space to the biblical authors to not just expect they're just telling me a, a chronicle of what happened. They're telling me a very selective record of events. And by means of how they're doing it, they're also asking me to understand the meaning of what happened. And they do this by their literary craft of weaving in repeated words and themes and re repetitive design patterns they're actually pretty intuitive once you pick up how to get it. And so what I invite students to do is just say, listen, let's just bracket, just, I mean, you could take a semester <laughs> to just bracket your history questions yeah, and just live in the narrative mm. and just understand how the narrative works, understand the message that these authors are getting. And once you see how that narrative coheres as a work of communication, then let's back up and ask about how it corresponds to what we can know about history. And I just find just separating those two creates space for the Bible to speak its own language before we jump in and ask our history questions. There's a, um, I think you could correct me if you know, I, I think it's Karl Barth quote, but essentially uh, there was a, a question back and forth going on, you know, was there a talking snake in the garden? And he essentially said something along the lines of, it's not important if there was a talking snake, what's important is what did he say? Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah, sure. and, yeah. and that gets to what you're getting at where it's like the other question matters it's important yes, it's, yeah. it's not it's not like hey we just disregard the historical question but mm -hmm. what's most important in that text 
is not whether snakes can talk. What's most important in that text is yes. what did that snake, what did the serpent yes. tell yes. the image bearers? Yeah, um, what's you, the story you can, trying to tell me? Yeah, that there is a mysterious creature mm. that's not myself, but also not like anything else in the world that can influence me to make destructive decisions that I choose to as my own, but yet also feel like it's a, something alien to me. What's up with that? You know what yeah, I'm saying? Like yeah. that's what, and all of a sudden you're talking about my everyday life. You know? and, uh, and so to, to, to get fixated first on the snake thing, is I think to miss the whole experience that story is inviting us into. Can I, um, I want to ask a question about that because I can, I can almost sense there are people listening, yes, and they're like uh, blood pressure. Their blood pressure yeah. over the <laughs> yeah. last twenty minutes totally. has oh, been yeah. like slowly rising. And I oh, think yeah, I your no, no, it's great. And I think the um, I love the metaphor. I love the illustration of a curator um, mm-hmm. putting together pieces of art. And it may not be a single artist's entire catalog of pieces, but the curator has a responsibility as a storyteller to take these pieces of art to give you an experience to tell you a particular story. Mm-hmm. And, and I love the metaphor. And at the same time, um, I want you to talk a little bit about this to sort of um, help the blood pressure decrease and come down yeah. to a normal level. Because I think yeah. there are people who may hear that and yeah. and now they're going back to the MC Escher illustration yeah. where they're, they're now wondering like, oh, okay, if that's true, that seems like a lot of power and authority to the curator mm-hmm. that God is doing something in the world, that he's constantly been doing something in the world. And yet when, mm-hmm. when I look at the Bible somebody, a human being, many humans mm-hmm. have curated bits and pieces mm-hmm. of the story of Israel and then the story of the Christians, mm-hmm. uh, the story of Jesus, and then the story of the Christians to present a very particular narrative that is supposed to reveal to me um, mm-hmm. who God is and what he's up to, what he's been up mm-hmm. to, and what he may be up to mm-hmm. now. So talk a little bit to that person who's wondering, wait, but I thought because this is how I grew up. I thought mm-hmm. the Bible was a book that I open every morning and it's got these wonderful morsels of truth that are <laughs> written directly to my Tuesday. You know what I mean? I'm going to go to school yeah, and yeah, then go yeah, to work sure. and there are these verses that are just going to be, they're designed to help me right now. And mm. they are. You're not saying that they're not, but mm. there is a journey for us to take to get to the place where it is truly helpful. Yes. Um, so talk a little bit. Does that yeah. question make sense? Totally. Yeah. Well, that, that, I, yeah, I hear a couple of things. So one, your kind of the second point you're leading towards is um, it's about how people get introduced to the Bible or how people are taught to engage the Bible. Yeah. Um, and especially in the, in the religious or uh, church cultures that we're a part of or the, you know, the different traditions, um, which, uh, you know, I imagine for most of our listeners is probably mostly Protestant. Mm-hmm. And mostly on the more orthodox, or um, to use a word that, in my opinion, has been hijacked, <laughs> evangelical. Right. Um, but that's that refers to a whole swath of American Protestant yeah. churches. And so, if you think about those types of church environments, tend to just by their very nature and structure foster a certain kind of engagement with the Bible. I 
if I hear the Bible, I hear it um, read aloud or taught in a gathering that's somewhere from 45 to 65 minutes long. <laughs> so I'm not, I don't actually ever hear that much of the Bible. I just hear it in small segments. Mm -hmm. I hear it as individual sentences hmm. or paragraphs. I never hear, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. And so um, if the, your whole life is spent in environments where you encounter the Bible week after week after week as little isolated fragments, that's going to produce a certain way of seeing the Bible mm. as the, I call it the devotional grab bag <laughs> of just like, I'm looking for the thing to make me feel like God loves me and Jesus has my number and he cares about me. <laughs> and I believe that's true. I, I believe all those things are true. Um, or I have theology questions. And so I, I, I end up treating it like a reference book. Where's mm. the page that answers the question about God's sovereignty right. or human depravity or Okay, there's these three passages I go to, and so you treat it like a reference book. And so uh, that's just the nature of the thing. So I think part of it is learning, hmm, like Christians and Jews haven't always encountered the Bible that way. Um, the most ancient way, the, the way the biblical authors themselves describe how the Bible came into existence was by long gatherings of communal hearing and reading aloud of the scriptures for hours. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just saying the origins of the Bible itself comes from uh, moments in the life of God's people where they hear these texts read aloud at, in large chunks. And so that started to make me question like, okay, well, if I'm not, if I'm not going to encounter the Bible in that way in my local church community, then I need to start engaging that, the Bible that way, at least personally, um, reading it in larger chunks so I can see the overall design and intention. And I, it's just when you do that, you start to see things you've never, ever seen before. Because um, you're reading it along with the grain of, of, how, of how it's designed. So that's one part. Uh, the other part, I thought you were going to talk more about the, the blood pressures rising, just about the history question. Hmm. Like, are you saying <laughs> it's not true? And so I want to, again, emphasize, I think, what matters, it matters, history matters a lot. But um, I think another part of the issue is that we encounter the Bible in a certain technology, namely in the form of a, bound, a single volume bound book. And that itself is uh, a recent technology in the history of the Bible. For most of the history of the Bible and within the history of its making, people encountered it as a collection of scrolls. Hmm as a whole, a whole body of various works that were unified, not by their technology, but that were unified by the, the one storyline and that that scroll continues this part of the story and that scroll, and then those are the poems that fit into this part of the story. And, and so it was much more of a, of a mental unity um, that, that the Bible worked on people in that way as opposed to, and so, um, different scrolls, you know, the Genesis scroll um, has um, a, a unique atmosphere, <laughs> so to speak. The way the narratives work in that story, especially the early narratives in, in Genesis 1 through 11, they're breathing a, a different air um, than the stories, say, in Kings, which are telling you, like, archival chronicle dates and so on. <laughs> and, you know, uh, and, and Genesis 1 through 11, however, 
to an ancient Israelite, you're like, would they would be saying, oh, I've heard versions of these stories before. My Babylonian neighbor has their version. It sounds a lot like Genesis 1, but their, their gods are killing each other. And, you know, mm -hmm. but our version about Yahweh, the one true God, the creator of the world, he has no rivals. He just speaks the world into being. Mm -hmm. And so those, especially those early narratives in Genesis, the main dialogue partners are helping Israelites form a one God, king and creator view of the world in distinction to their, their Canaanite Babylonian neighbors. And once you see that set of issues there, boom, all kinds of things yeah. pop. And the history question just takes a, a different seat in the car. I don't know. That's so, my way of framing so it. So <laughs> it's interesting. I'm preaching through the book of Isaiah for uh, my church right now. And I got to the, mm. to the passage... Um, the day star passage and you know yeah, is this yeah. satan is this just the king of babylon and as i'm going through that something you just said connected with what, what i was preaching and i and mm. i've never realized this but um the, the story we find in genesis is you too can be like god uh, mm -hmm. and you, so you forget your maker you forget mm -hmm. your divine vocation, and then you try to ascend and to be like god and as i'm working mm. through that isaiah 14 passage i'm going oh my goodness uh, mm. The story of Adam and Eve is the story mm -hmm. of Israel. The story of Israel, unfortunately, is also the story of Babylon. And the story of Babylon is the story of Satan. And if you're brave enough, it's the story of you and me. Um, we all have defiantly kind of looked at God and said, mm -hmm. you are not our maker. We too can be like God. It's Tower mm -hmm. of Babel. It's mm -hmm. Genesis. It's Mm -hmm. Isaiah 1, he starts off, you know, you, you, a donkey remembers its master, but you can't yeah. even remember your creator. And so that's what those yeah. stories are doing. You talk about hyperlinks, yeah. how the yeah. text is always referencing its, itself. And, and so, yeah. again, the, the history matters. Absolutely. We, mm -hmm. I, I believe the Bible is the word of God. I believe it's true. Mm -hmm. But there's, a, there's another layer of truth that you will never discover mm -hmm. and and technically i believe it is the mm. primary meaning uh mm. that the text is trying to, to to get you to see the that mm. you you want to be like god and and mm -hmm. you you've usurped your maker and so mm -hmm. there's that tension but i think if people are able to do what you're talking about the mm -hmm. bible becomes oh it's like yeah. it's an adventure it is a yeah it becomes adventure. like yeah in the in the 80s you would say 3d color or something now you would say it becomes virtual reality it, be <laughs> it just becomes a more that's right so so what we're saying is the bible can, is a divine and human word that tells the truth about the about the story of our world what does it mean to tell the truth about something well i can tell you the truth in terms of i rode my bike to work this morning after having um Oh yeah, sauteed kale and mushroom and eggs. That's what I had for breakfast. So I can tell. I'm telling you the truth. Was that a um, Harlow? Did you go to Harlow. <laughs> no, that was in my kitchen. Oh, my kitchen. okay. Um, so, or but I can also tell you the truth to say, um, I had that kind of breakfast and rode my bike to work because I tried a number of years ago to really change some life patterns that involved me sitting way less and then involved diet changes because my body wasn't working very well. And now it's working way better. So which one of those accounts is more true? <laughs> you know? So, I mean, I could just tell you what happened. I ate that breakfast and rode my bike. But that doesn't, like, who cares? Mm -hmm. Like, you don't understand the meaning of those events. Mm -hmm. 
So then I can tell you a story that'll be much more abbreviated, that'll focus on a much wider narrative of my health and other things. And really the set of events of my morning are just gateways into bigger, more important life issues mm-hmm. about the meaning of my body and health and so on. And so it, it's a lot like that. That story, the biblical stories are trying to, ab- above all, they're concerned with telling us the truth about the human condition, <laughs> yeah. about how Jesus of Nazareth, his life, death, and resurrection was God's precious gift and solution to the human condition and opens up a future for our universe. And it matters that he came and said and did the things that he did. And it matters that the people that he belonged to, Israel, really is a real people that has a history. But what's the meaning of Israel's history in the world? And what's the meaning of the Jesus story in the world? And thank goodness the apostles didn't give us video camera footage, you mm-hmm. know? The people who were there, I mean, just think, I, this struck me not long ago, the people who actually lived and hung out with Jesus, the gospels are very clear, were so clueless as to what was happening when it actually happened. Yeah. It was only in the hindsight of Jesus' death and resurrection that they began to clue in to what it all actually, the the truth of what it all meant. Mm. So you can apparently watch Jesus walk around Galilee and heal people, watch him get crucified and not understand the truth. Mm. And so I think the same goes. I think we just need to learn how to relax a little (laughs) on some of the truth questions about the Old Testament and just first to say that's important, but I'm going to just let that sit for a bit and I'm going to, just focus on the message of this story. And what I have found time after time is that I come back to the history questions and you can look at archeology span and you can build a list of pros and cons. And did, so how many people did Joshua really bring in and did they really have that battle? Well, the archeological you know, evidence is complex, mm. but uh, the message of Joshua is clear. It's super clear. Mm-hmm. And our, our understanding of ancient history will always be based on limited data of rocks and ancient ruins. And, and so we just, we can't mistake our ability to ground something in certainty from the ancient past. Like my certainty about those events doesn't determine the meaning of those events in their story. What determines the meaning of the museum exhibit is the one that's been shaped by these human authors guided by God's spirit. Um, so we're kind of going around and around on this theme. But for me, this was a major yeah. paradigm shift that was formative for me. And maybe for, for the listeners, like a, a simple example would be, um, did Jesus pray in the Garden of Gethsemane? Yes, absolutely. 100% mm. believe that. That is historical fact. Mm-hmm. But you might miss something really beautiful going on. Wait, wait. A, an, mm. another son of God is about mm. to be tried and tested mm. and he's, mm. he's in the garden. And when he mm. prays to God, his final words are father. No, you're not my will, not, mm-hmm. not my will, but your will be done mm-hmm. as he goes off mm-hmm. to, to, mm-hmm. to do battle with the serpent of old or the, the, the Luke four and Matthew four, uh, Jesus is victorious over Satan in the desert where the first mm-hmm. Adam was, uh, mm-hmm. of course failed in a, the first Adam fails in a garden paradise. And the mm-hmm. second Adam is successful fasting mm-hmm. for 40 days in a yeah, barren totally. desert wilderness. And so mm-hmm. those are concrete historical realities that happened in human history, but the authors mm-hmm. want you to see more than just a historical, mm-hmm. they're throwing you back to, to the old story. So you see yeah, more. That's right. 
You know, it's stri- right, yeah. it, it strikes me that one of the challenges we live in, it's, it's very convicting for me because I think this is not just pastorally, I'm thinking about my community, but I think it's mm-hmm. true for me too. Um, and I don't want to blame everything on the digital age per se, but I do yeah. think the digital age is a is sort of an interesting metaphor for this. I have yeah. different levels of commitment, I feel, to a particular conversation or dialogue, and mm. they're attached to different mediums. So mm. often, mm. I'm just going to admit this and confess this right now publicly on that, often I will not answer a phone call because I don't want, I know that talking on the phone yeah. engages me in a particular level of dialogue that's going to require a level of engagement <laughs> from me mm-hmm. that is much deeper than what mm-hmm. I can do via text, right? Mm-hmm. Via text, it's just simpler, it's quicker. Now I don't mm-hmm. even have to type anything. I can just send you the thumbs up emoji or mm-hmm. the crying face mm-hmm. emoji, whatever, right? It's a couple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and if you actually, if you do a cost benefit analysis, yeah. <laughs> that the cost with that, is context mm-hmm. and and true understanding. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. the, no, that's you know exactly I mean? right. How yeah. much easier is yeah. it to under, misunderstand somebody? Exactly. Which is why which yeah. is why a deep level of commitment in a relationship would be yeah, mm. let's sit f- and meet for coffee. Like face to face and we'll mm. s- chat for an hour or two. And mm. I don't s- throw that number out there to I'm not trying to, you know, don't say like mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not trying to say you got to sit with coffee and read your bible for an hour or two although that would be wonderful yeah it doesn't what, hurt yeah it doesn't hurt <laughs> what i am saying i think what you're saying is um at least what i'm getting from oh. this in part is that when i grew up i was taught i think inadvertently mm. that this is before text messages, but that I could engage the Bible on a text message level. Mm. That I could open it up yeah. and I read a couple of verses and there's my, you know, it's 140 characters mm-hmm. and there it is. There it is for the your day. Your little theology tidbit. Exactly. Or your little love letter for the day. Yes. Or, you know, this kind of language. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that gives me the shallowness of a text mm. message to a certain extent, <laughs> mm-hmm. whereas the Bible is wanting to engage in a long dialogue. Yeah, a, a lifetime right. long conversation. Yeah. Right. And it inno- inoculates you in a sense because you run into people who have lived their life reading the Bible like that and they think they know the Bible. Right. And they think they know the mm. story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really they've mm. just been seeing fragmented pieces. Yeah, and you it. know, and I don't doubt that they do. And this isn't a question of like um, people's character or anything yeah. like that. Sure. It's just, a, it's just asking the very s- simple question of, hmm, this book was written in a certain way, um, and which means that I can read it in a way that is not how it's designed to be read. You know, <laughs> like yeah. my the phone in my pocket is designed for a certain set of uses, but if I use it as a hammer, or you know, or if yeah. I only ever use it for email, but I never use it as a phone, or so it's just it's about using something the way it's been designed to be used. And that's the con- that's what we're having. That's a really good analogy, Jay. That was really like good. That. So, so Tim, to kind of as as we round third base and head home, maybe some real like concrete, practical things. Mm-hmm. What 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 would you advise? Maybe you can give three tips or suggestions on how to and how not to read your Bible, just so everyone leaves here with some mm. something concrete that they can go with when they pick up their Bible the next time. Yeah. Um, 
this is, none of this is going to sound like rocket science. It's all going to sound intuitive. So one thing would be to tr just try an experiment of um, uh, instead of trying the, the very common model of like the 20 minutes a day way of engaging the Bible, um, to just, just as intentionally, but block out just one, two, if you're ambitious, three larger blocks of an hour, 45 minutes or an hour, and where you commit yourself to a section of the Bible, you know, like just the first basic narrative, the book of Genesis through the book of Kings. Or really where I tell people is just reread the gospel like yeah. nobody's business, you know, the story of Jesus. And just, but just read it, read one, pick Luke, pick Matthew, and just read it in big chunks multiple times through. And I guarantee you'll notice things you've never noticed before. When you read it in bigger and looking, you'll just notice the repeated themes and words and stuff will pop for you. So that's one, bigger chunks and over the books that you reread a couple times. Another practice, um, again, which is a part of how the Bible came into existence, is to read the Bible in bigger chunks aloud, out loud with your friends. So that's another thing I encourage people like once a month, pick a Friday night at someone's house and just read the whole book of Mark or read a whole, a whole book of the Bible. It might take an hour, it might take two, but just do it. Um, so those are, those are just um, a couple. And uh, the, I guess maybe just the last thing is the Bible Project videos. We're making the kinds of resources I wish that I had when I was in bewilderment phase with the Bible. And so it's, it is shameless self-promotion in one sense, but in another sense, I really offer it because I'm trying to make help make tools that do the things that I now see help me in to discover what the Bible is really designed to do. And so I hope the videos, I think, can be a good gateway into that too. Um, tell people where they can find the videos and um, resources. Uh, and they're all, people should know this is all free. It's all accessible online. Yep. So. Yeah, we're a nonprofit animation studio. Yeah, it's all out there for free. Um, uh, one is our website, thebibleproject.com. Um, there's a really easy navigational set of features that help you discover all the videos. Um, or if you're really familiar with YouTube or use YouTube a lot, we have a YouTube channel. If you, again, just search The Bible Project, and uh, that'll get you into our gateway of um, uh, hundreds of videos. Um, and you guys also have a couple of podcasts that uh, both yeah. Isaac and I have found super helpful. So yeah. talk a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Part of our process for making the videos is my partner and I who started it, John, we just talk for hours and hours about the things that eventually become videos, topics or books of the Bible. And so those conversations all get um, designed into our podcast. Um, and uh, because of my Bible nerd, nerdness, nerdity, <laughs> Uh, I've got about a decade's worth of lectures and teachings and sermons all throughout the Bible. Um, and that's up on all that's getting put up on a podcast called Exploring My Strange Bible. Um, and the other one's just the Bible Project podcast. So those are, those are resources too. And although you don't want to, we will shamelessly promote the Bible Project and everything you're doing is absolutely incredible. I mean, as, as a pastor, mm. when people 
are going to read through a book in the Bible and they ask for tips, it's I know the first thing I say is go watch the Bible project. Keep up all that good work, friend. Yeah. Yeah, cheers. Thank thank you guys. I you know, I'm just one part of the team, but uh, it's a really remarkable group of people has come together around this project and uh yeah, I'm so surprised and proud of the work that this team is doing. It's really fun to be a part of. Tim, thanks so much. You've been um, a tremendous friend and support and ally and um, inspiration to all the stuff we've been doing at the Regeneration Project. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, onwards. Onwards, you guys. Tim always has so much insightful stuff to say. You could talk with him for literally hours on, on end. Yeah, and so um, if you're listening, we, we hope that that was really helpful to you. Yeah, and keep keep listening because our goal is to bring in more and more people to discuss difficult issues and, and just do this journey together, um, both uh, through the podcast, the website, and the events that we host. So uh, regenerationproject.org yeah, is where it. you can find us. And also we are a partner with Western Seminary, great seminary. I'm a grad from there. Um, so if you're looking into seminaries right now, I'd highly recommend Western Seminary. If you want a really rich theological foundation, a kind of gospel-centric approach to to preaching, theology, teaching, counseling, whatever it may be, uh, check them out. They're a great school. Yeah. And they've got campuses all over as well as um, really rich. Portland, San Jose, Sacramento. Yeah. Yeah. And a really great online program as well if you're interested in that. And um, Tim's a professor there yeah, as well. Right. So you can... It's kind of worth going there just to take classes from Tim. Yeah. You, you could uh, take like an Isaiah class with Tim Mackey. It'd be great. Which is exactly what you did. I did. A um, couple other things. We want you guys to stay connected with us. We really do want the Regeneration Project to be a dialogue, not a monologue. So um, one, all the basic social media stuff. We're on Twitter and Facebook at R-Gen Project, R-G-E-N Project. Uh, and we're on Instagram at Regeneration Project, the full phrase, Regeneration Project on Instagram. Also, um, Isaac mentioned our website. If you go to our website, uh, you can find all the show notes for each of our episodes under the podcast tab. So whenever you listen to an episode and people mention things like Tim mentioned the MC Escher um, sketch, we'll have that up there. We'll have a link to the skate church where he met Jesus. Um, Some of the books, the Philip Yancey book that Isaac mentioned. So all those things, things that you think about that come up during the, during the episode there on our show notes. So check that out on our website. And lastly, again, we want this to be a dialogue. So if you have thoughts or ideas or questions or um, maybe even some suggestions on people you'd like to hear on the podcast, or we're also going to do some episodes in the future where we're trying to highlight stories of local churches that are really doing um, great work to reach new generations. If you know of a church like that, if you're a part of a church like that, if you've got a story like that, or maybe you're a young person who met Jesus through a church like that, um, all of those things, you can contact us by emailing us at podcast at regenerationproject.org. That's podcast at regenerationproject.org. And we would love to hear from you and keep the dialogue going. Um, Thanks again so much for listening. Uh, Keep listening. We've got some more fantastic episodes on the way. Um, This is the Regeneration Project podcast and uh, farewell.